seated. Thank you, music team. As uh, Zach mentioned, uh, next week, kind of everything begins happening. Uh, we are going to have a, a adult Sunday school class. Everybody, all the adults will meet in here. So kids, you will go to your classes, but all the adults will meet in here and we'll have a, a preview of kind of what the semester will look like, the two classes. Uh, if you are going to take Bible 101, uh, there is a book that we will be using and uh, probably the best way to get the most out of the class is to get, is to get the book, uh, but it is called God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. If you Google Robert's God's Big Picture, you should be able to, to find this book. But that's the, the book that we will be using, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, oftentimes when we try to read the Bible, uh, we try to read it. Uh, it's kind of like you go into a house, but all the lights are off. And so you kind of stumble around in the dark, and you figure out once you've banged your uh, knee on the coffee table, like, oh, it must be in the living room. Um, you know, or you trip over the open dishwasher, and you realize, oh, it must be in the kitchen. Uh, and so that's kind of the way we tend to read the Bible. We kind of stumble around in dark rooms, not really sure what, what they're for and who, how they're connected to one another. Uh, Bible 101 seeks to kind of answer that question. We're going to take the big picture of the Bible and connect all of those pieces together. So that's the, that's the aim in, in this class if you're interested in uh, learning a little bit more about that. So that regardless of what room in the scripture you find yourself... Uh, you know how that room connects to the rest of the house uh, and how that room functions in the house. So uh, we are going to be in uh, Psalm 137 today. And so if you would go ahead and be turning there, if you're using the, the church Bible, that's going to be on page 521. We're coming to the end of our summer in the Psalms. We'll be back. Uh, we'll be back in Matthew in just a couple of weeks. Uh, one of my goals with this series, uh, and it's actually one of the great things about preaching through books of the Bible, is that uh, we get exposed to parts of the Bible that we don't really travel in a whole lot. Uh, and another goal has been to help us see how the Psalms, in particular, speak to the real things that we face. Uh, the real emotions that we feel. Uh, and today's psalm is no exception to that. Uh, I do want to give you a warning ahead of time. This is another tough one to read. Uh, and when I get done reading it, you'll probably have a lot of questions. Uh, and you should have a lot of questions. It's good to ask questions of the scriptures. That's how we come to understand them. To give you a little bit of background, this psalm is written in response to what is called the exile. What is that? Well, the Old Testament tells the history, tells the story of the people of Israel. The people of Israel that God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he brought them into the promised land in Canaan. Uh, and he told them when he gave them the promised land, he said, uh, if you will continue to worship me, uh, if you will continue to serve me, then you will stay in the land. But if you ignore me, if you ignore my commands, if you uh, go after other gods, the gods of the nations, then I will exile you from the land. If the other nations are what you want, then I will send you out to those other nations. I will remove you from my land and send you out to the nations. He will exile his people. Uh, and after about 800 or so years of warning them, God finally did just that. 
uh, in 586 B.C., uh, the empire of Babylon, uh, for the third and final time, uh, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed it, uh, destroyed God's temple. Uh, and what people were not killed, uh, Babylon carried them off into exile. Uh, and so uh, we are going to read this psalm this morning comes out of that, uh, that background. Uh, would you stand with me as I read God's word uh, out of reverence for God's word? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, our harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be. Who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. You can be seated. Would you join me in praying? Lord, these are hard words and many of us are probably surprised to find them here. These are not verses that we put on cards or that we often think of uh, when we think of the Bible. And so, Lord, would you help us to understand them? Uh, and would you help us to apply them? Uh, and would you help us to see our Savior in the midst of them? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe the first question you ask is, uh, why in the world is that in the Bible? That doesn't really seem to fit uh, one of the things that we have repeatedly said as we've gone through the Psalms this summer is that the, what the Psalms do is they give us words to express our feelings before God. I, I mentioned before this quote of John Calvin that he, he viewed the Psalms as an anatomy of the soul. And so it's, it's fitting then that part of that anatomy and part of uh, how we feel is Anger, particularly uh, anger at injustice, uh, wanting the right to be done. Uh, and we believe that the Bible is inspired by God. And what that means is that while human authors wrote these words, God's Holy Spirit is the one who inspired them with these words. What Paul says uh, in the New Testament is that these words are God-breathed. Uh, how Peter describes it in one of his letters is he says that the holy men of old were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote. Here's, here's what that means. These words are not in the Bible by accident. God intended for them to be here, and so we need to answer why. Why are these words in the Bible, and what do we do with them now? And 
here's, uh, here's my answer. Here's what I think the answer is. The reason that Psalm 37 is in the Bible is because it helps us to vocalize righteous anger against evil in the world. It helps us, it helps us to acknowledge and even give us words to pray before God concerning evil and injustice in the world. And it helps us to know how to plead with God to make things right. It's not the only psalm that does that. It may be the most um, brutal, uh, but uh, there are several psalms that do this, and there are several passages in the New Testament as well. And so there are three things that this psalm helps us to do. Um, One, it helps us to weep in the face of sin and suffering. Two, it helps us to cry out for justice and trust God to do it. And then three, it helps us consider how God answers these prayers, how God answers prayers like this. And so let's just walk through each one of those. First, how does Psalm 137 help us to weep in the face of sin and suffering? You know, often we can talk about evil uh, in a detached and, and clinical sort of way. We can talk about the evil in the world out there. Uh, we can talk about suffering. Uh, and, and in fact, now we have the ability to hear and see so much of it uh, that we can even become jaded or desensitized to it. Right? It becomes just kind of something out there. And sometimes, sometimes it's, a, it's a defense mechanism that our hearts kind of develop this thick callousness so that we really don't have to to deal with what it is we're hearing or seeing. And, and that's something uh, as, as similar as human nature is throughout the course of history, that is something relatively new. Uh, that before the invention of modern media, you didn't really know, at least not right away, what was happening hundreds and hundreds of miles away from you. Right? You knew what was happening around you, uh, but you didn't really know what was happening around the world. Now we do, and it comes at us in a constant flood. Uh, So we have to figure out what to do with that. But I do want to point something else out, and it's this. We can think that, man, the 21st century is a brutal and violent time. There is a lot of evil. There there are a lot of terrible things happening, not just around the world, but on my street. Things we don't even know about. And that's true. But I want to, I don't know if this would be an encouragement or not, But the ancient Near East was no less violent and no less brutal. What's described, especially in the last verse of this psalm, was common practice for conquering armies, particularly the Babylonians. If you wanted to humiliate, uh, thoroughly humiliate and demoralize your opponent, then you did uh, whatever you could to make sure they would not fight back. Uh, And so... Um, the ancient Near East was a world, uh, maybe much like our own, where might makes right. And since Babylon had the might, then whatever they did was right. Of course, we would say that's not true. God is the one who makes right, not the person who has the might. But I want you to, to picture the scene of the psalm. Uh, Babylonian soldiers are leading this ragged train of captured Israelites onto the plains that surrounded Babylon, a very foreign environment to Israelites who would have grown up in the hills around Jerusalem. 
And they stop for a rest beside one of the streams that feed the city. And you can hear the mockery in their proud voices as they come to a stop, as they bring their caravan to a halt. We need entertainment. We're bored. Sing us one of your Zion songs. Tell us how great your Israel was before we demolished Jerusalem. Tell us about how great your God is before we leveled his temple and burned it to the ground. Go on, sing for us. And you can imagine the angry tears that burned down raw cheeks as they sat and as they wept, as they refused to sing. Their religion is gone. Their homes are gone. Their identity is in shambles. And so what do they do? They don't sing. They instead hang up their harps in the trees. There's nothing to sing about. Instruments once used to make music about God's glory and his his love for Israel are now hung up in the trees, silent. This is a psalm of of anger, song of grief. What do we do with this? Well, we can admit that we live in a brutal and broken world, that we experience great evil, and we perpetrate great evil on one another. The psalm gives us language to think about that, a way to express that. The psalm tells us that the right thing to do is not to cover it up. It's not to pretend that evil and violence don't exist. We have a tendency, especially uh, in the 21st, in 21st century America, to uh, isolate and insulate ourselves with entertainment, with recreation, with busyness. Again, to, to build up that callous around our hearts to kind of put these things at a distance. And what Psalm 37, 137 helps us to do is to be honest. And when we see great evil done, when we see great wickedness done, when we see violence perpetrated against people, we can weep with those who weep. We can, we can be angry. It is good to be angry about what makes God angry. It's called righteous anger. We need to grieve evil and we need to call it what it is. The psalm also helps us to cry out for justice. It helps us to trust God to do it. The psalm is a cry for vengeance. Look at uh, verses 7 through 9. And as you do, I want you to imagine this as a courtroom. On one side, you have the Israelites, the people of Israel. And on the other side, you have uh, the Edomites and the Babylonians. And on the judgment seat in the middle of the courtroom is God himself. And what Israel does is she brings out her evidence that's what the psalmist is doing. The people, as they, as they sit beside the, the rivers of Babylon and they weep, they bring God evidence and they ask him to judge. They ask him to step in. They ask him to remember. Remember the Edomites. The Edomites uh, were, the, Edom was a country to the southeast of Israel. They were neighbors and they had a long-standing feud. They were related to the Israelites way, way back. And there was no love lost between Israel and Edom. 
And so when Israel was defeated and people were running for their lives, and you can hear about this in the book of Obadiah, uh, the Edomites would capture them and return them to the Babylonians. And we see here that they gloated over the fall of Jerusalem, saying, lay the city bare to its foundations. And so Israel says, remember them. Don't forget what they've done to us. And then the Babylonians. Blessed is he who does to you, who repays you with what you have done to us. How they took our little ones, our infants, and slung them against the rocks. Now, Babylon was God's instrument of judgment against Israel, but they carried that out with excessive brutality. And so the prophets promised that Babylon herself would be judged and destroyed. That's why they would say in Psalm 137 and verse 8 there, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. They knew before they went into the exile, the prophets had already said that Babylon would face judgment for what she had done. So, can we pray this way? What do we do with prayers for justice? What do we do with prayers for vengeance? If you look at what they're asking, they, they want the punishment to fit the crime. They're not condoning. I don't believe this condones Babylon's behavior. But they're asking for a punishment to fit the crime. They're asking and trusting the Lord to act justly. They're trusting God to do what he has already promised to do. And in that way, it's similar to what Paul says in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's adequate. That's, that's right. And so the psalmist isn't saying, I won't rest until I take your children by the ankles and smash their heads against the rocks. That's not what the psalmist is saying. He's not allowing rage to take over. He's not, he's not giving himself over into personal hatred. He's not taking matters into his own hands. He's voicing his anger before the judge of all the earth, the one who can handle the outcome. And so, yes, we can ask God to work justice. We can pray that those who do wrong get what they deserve. But there's a wrinkle in praying for that, isn't there? You see, the Israelites, they put themselves in this position. God repeatedly had warned them if they continued in their idolatry, then they would be exiled. Babylon and Edom did go overboard. But Israel had no one to blame but herself for the exile. And so if we're going to pray for justice, then we need to understand our own guilt. We need to understand that we, too, are deserving of punishment. That's why vengeance belongs to God and not to us, because he's holy and we're not. He's fully just. We're not. His anger is always righteous. Mine is not. And so if none of us are just and none of us are holy, then shouldn't we all be terrified of God's wrath? What do we pray for then? And that's the final point. Let's consider how God answers these prayers. 
Israel is longing for God to act, longing for God to do something. And that actually carries her through the rest of the exile and all the way to the birth of Jesus. Even though Israel would go back to the land, even though they would rebuild the temple, it was not the same. They were still ruled by foreign powers, and God's presence was absent from the temple. And so they watched, and they prayed, and they waited for God to act, for God to keep his promises. They were waiting for the arrival of a Messiah who would bring a better day. How does God answer that longing? How does he fix a broken and bloody world? He enters into that broken and bloody world himself. He enters into that broken and bloody world as a little one, as an infant. And he is dashed on the rock of God's just anger so that those who trust in him will not be. And that changes how we pray, doesn't it? Think about what we heard Jesus say when Rick read the call to repentance. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That sounds very different from Psalm 137. Paul, following Jesus, says, do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12. How? How can... How can that be? How can I pray that way? What has happened to change the way that we think between Psalm 137 and now? The cross. At the cross, the demand for justice is met. But not by me. And not by you. It's met by him. At the cross, Jesus gets what I deserve. And I receive what he deserves. He receives judgment. I receive blessing. And so when it comes to my enemies, how is it that I can cry out for them to get what they deserve? When God has not given me what I deserve. That's how grace transforms everything. And so in a couple of minutes when we come to the table. To receive and remember God's grace in the supper. I want you to think on these things. As you take the bread. And you crush it between your teeth. I want you to think of the son of God. The Lord Jesus crushed for your son. And as we take the cup. And as you taste the juice, I want you to consider how Jesus drank the cup of justice. So that you can drink the cup of mercy, the cup of salvation. And we're going to sing these lines. And so I want you to to think about this. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon a tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold.
bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we live in a a red and ruined world. And we have contributed to that ruin ourselves. We've maybe not done violence, though some of us have. But we've certainly spoken it. We've harmed others and others have harmed us. And we learned to cry at an early age. It's not fair. Give me what I deserve. So Lord, thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Thank you for showing us mercy instead. Lord, as we live as ambassadors of your mercy in this world, it is right that we pray for justice. It is right that we pray that evil be held at bay and that good prevail. These are good things for us to pray. It is right that we weep with those who weep. And when our anger is righteous, it is good that we bring it before you In fact, Lord, would you help our anger to be righteous, not selfish, not sinful, but to be angry about the things that anger you and to repent when we're otherwise angry. And Lord, when we long for that day when all is made right, help us to remember the cross. And the empty tomb. And that vengeance is yours. And that our enemies, whoever they may be and wherever they may be, will either repent and be forgiven by you or face your judgment. And in that, we can rest. Would you help us to do that? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.